In 2019, Maryland and Maine passed laws creating prescription drug affordability boards to allow those states to influence drug prices. And similar legislation has been proposed in several other states. Maryland's law permits payment limits to be set on certain drugs when prices or price increases exceed pre-specified thresholds or when drugs create affordability challenges. I'm Stephen Morrissey, Managing Editor of the New England Journal of Medicine, and I'm talking with Tara Sklar, a professor of health law at the University of Arizona James E. Rogers College of Law. Professor Sklar has co-authored a perspective article on affordability boards as a state-based strategy for reining in high drug prices. Professor Sklar, could you start by telling us a bit about how these prescription drug affordability boards are going to work in both Maryland and Maine? What kind of authority will they have and where will they be able to intervene? Well, essentially, the way they work is each state, I'll focus on Maryland and Maine, since these are the two states that have actually enacted these laws now, they create these advisory boards that are composed of anywhere to five to nine members. It just happens that the two states, Maryland and Maine, both of their boards have five members on them, which are either all elected officials or appointees of elected officials. And the idea is that um, these boards will review drugs, both generic and patented drugs, that have some type of trigger event that relates to their price, whether it's that when they enter the market, they're at a certain price, or if they experience a price increase over a certain threshold over a 12-month period. Or exactly what you were describing earlier, there could be this catch-all where the board deems the price for that drug creates affordability challenges for the state. So the review is triggered, and then there will be a process where the drug manufacturers and the board, and also the board has, in both states, they've created these stakeholder councils or advisory networks of a broader group of anywhere from 12 to 26 members with different levels of experience in pharmaceutical areas. And they will review data provided by the drug manufacturers, everything from pricing information to how this relates to the research and development costs compared to direct-to-consumer advertising costs, as well as other alternatives in the market, how much is the state utilizing this particular drug. And basically, it comes up with whether or not the price that the drug is listed at when it comes to market or over a 12-month period is justified. And if the board finds that it's not justified, it will recommend a payment limit to the state legislature. So in that sense, the board functions as almost a price transparency effort in a way where it's just trying to get more information and feedback, working ideally with drug manufacturers on why it is that they came to this particular price, and then proposing action depending on if they deem that that price is not affordable for the state. And then based off that, the legislature may put an upper cap limit on what they're willing to reimburse that drug at. But there's certain caveats to it. If a drug is on a shortage list, then it it would fall out of the requirements of this review board. And also, it only applies to public payers in the state. Both Maryland and Maine have restricted the review board to only look at what it would actually cost public plans in the state. So it's not for every plan, but only those that operate under the state government or local health plan. And then this could also be reviewed annually. So you write in your perspective article that laws such as these creating affordability boards represent a more direct attack on prescription drug prices than other state policies that have been implemented in recent years. What other kinds of policies have been tried, and why is this approach a more direct attack on the problem? I think it's both more direct, and I also think it's more inclusive in the sense that it's really inviting a conversation back and forth between the drug manufacturers and the pharmacy benefit managers and the providers and health systems, as well as the regulators. 
and then it builds on laws such as the price transparency laws, which right now just mandates that a pharmaceutical drug manufacturer provide notice of what their price increase might be. And that notice could typically be 60 days. But there's no direct action in terms of what a regulator can do to say, well, that price is unconscionably high or excessive. It's just mainly as a requirement to give notice to providers and patients so that they could potentially find substitutes over that period. So this legislation goes a bit further in that it, it says, well, if you are going to have this price increase, and we want opportunity to review it before we just allow it to go through. What kinds of pushback has Maryland seen regarding its plan to establish payment limits on certain drugs? Do you think that that kind of limit's going to present a legal challenge or just a political one? Well, it was really just at the last minute that Maryland introduced the limitation to only apply the review board jurisdiction to public payers. Before that, it had been to any payer in the state. So I think that's a a great example of how political opposition, even before the bill was passed, limited it. On the other hand, I do think these are sort of experiments, these different efforts that states are making in the area. And one particular question to ask is, are these efforts going to actually reduce or drive down the price of drugs, or could they just be adding to the administrative efforts by states to look at these, to monitor this area? So I think by Maryland limiting this approach to only, Maryland and Maine limiting it to only public payers, it it does look almost like a pilot in the sense of like, well, could this really be effective as well as sort of meeting in the middle ground the political opposition and also potentially mitigating a legal challenge? So I think that's one way they're certainly going about it, by taking a very measured approach with starting with public payers. That also, I think, justifies more of the state involvement in the area. I mean, what they're really trying to do, especially in Maine, with these review boards, is balance their state budget. And creating these boards to collect this information and data and provide recommendations so that they can balance their budget and yet be able to afford as many medications for the state population as possible. Do you think that other states are going to be passing similar legislation soon, or are they going to wait and see the results from Maryland and Maine, and also perhaps what kind of action the federal government might take? Well, in 2019, altogether, including Maine and Maryland, there were nine states that put forward this type of affordability review board legislation. And so far, it's failed in three states, Illinois, Connecticut, and Oregon, and then still pending in four, including New Jersey, Massachusetts, Minnesota, and Missouri. And I think it's very promising what might happen, particularly in Massachusetts and New Jersey. And so, and then based off that, it'll be interesting to see whether they, particularly New Jersey, Massachusetts, follow what Maine and Maryland did with restricting application of the review board to only public payers. The National Academy for State Health Policy has model legislation on what type of oversight that these boards could include, and that particular caveat isn't in it. So it'll be really interesting to see where these other states may come out on based off potential political opposition or fear of court legal challenges after the bill gets passed. In terms of federal action, I mean, that also really remains to be seen. I mean, there's incredible bipartisan support. There's certainly a lot more effort and interest in trying to pass laws that could somehow drive down the price of drugs in many different ways. I think what will be interesting to see in conjunction with what's happening in the states and the federal government is what the private market is doing as well. I think that there are some really interesting, innovative things happening in Louisiana specifically, whether looking at these subscriber models or out of Pacifica RX, of course, where they have the 900 hospitals that are looking at basically trying to reduce the risk in the market and increase supply by having these more long-term contracts. I think a way forward is it's really not going to rely on the states, the Fed, or private independently, but really how everyone can operate in a way in which 
there are these longer term contracts, there's less risk in the market, there could be more of a focus on just reducing the potential drug shortages going forward to reduce potential spikes in the price and thinking about it more holistically that way as opposed to certain states are doing this. The other thing that's, I think, a large concern with these affordability boards, and it's interesting with Maine and Maryland coming to the forefront, is there is a risk for smaller states, unlike California, to take this kind of type of effort. And they could potentially limit access to new cross-cutting drugs or essential medications. Drug manufacturers could say, well, Maine, you're just not big enough for me to want to deal with following this review process. So that's a real concern that I think disadvantages smaller states as they try to make um, pass state legislation in this area. In fact, you say in your article that these new state approaches are unlikely to be a substitute for a federal solution that changes the fundamental market factors that are driving up drug prices. So what kinds of federal strategies do you think are feasible? That's a great question. I think some that are coming out that are looking at, for example, the Prescription Drug Price Relief Act. That one has where they're specifically looking at the median price of a drug in another country and just trying to, to target what a you know reasonable price might be for that drug. I think that that type of effort, like a global effort, is really enticing in terms of just looking at from a world population perspective, what people will need this drug for and how much it could be charged at and how to make it more accessible globally. So that's just an interesting concept. And I think that the other federal efforts, and a lot of them are looking at the states for being incubator models for what they could do in this area. It's just interesting whether or not these triggers of pricing and more and calls for greater transparency will really be what's necessary to overall reduce the cost of drugs if there isn't more action needed in terms of providing longer-term contracts to help the market operate more efficiently, reduce risk in the market. If, and maybe that approach is something more of a carrot-type approach, if that's more desirable than these transparency and stick approaches. Thank you, Professor Sklar.